0: Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today's Sunday, January 7th, three months to the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel, Dan here with our diplomatic reporter, Lazer Behrman, back from a long stint in reserve duty, and reporter Kanan Lidor. Hello to you both. Good morning. Hello, nice to be back. Nice to have you. We'll hear about large-scale arrests in Turkey, as well as U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's progress in his Mideast trip so far. Kanan will update us on communities from the Gaza envelope who are being resettled, as well as the revival of the first nature party or rave since the October 7th massacre. All this and more when we're back.
1: Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Saracheck Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Saracheck's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis so they're only compensated when they succeed.
0: The IDF announced the death of an officer killed during fighting in the northern Gaza Strip over the weekend, bringing the toll of slain troops since the start of the ground offensive against Hamas to 176. A border police officer was killed during an overnight counter-terror operation in the northern West Bank's Jenin. Sergeant Shai Germay from Carmiel was in a vehicle hit by a roadside bomb during the raid, in which six Palestinians were killed. Three of her comrades in the border police vehicle were lightly to moderately hurt." Unrelatedly, An East Jerusalem man was killed in this morning's shooting of a terror attack in the West Bank. He is named by Hebrew media as Amar Mansour of the Beit Hanina neighborhood. Mansour is an Israeli citizen. He was killed in his car on Route 465 with the IDF saying the motive was terror-related. Laser, let's start with you and follow up on an article that Zman Israel, our Hebrew sister site, reported in which they were claiming that Israel is in talks with the Congo to discuss the possibility of relocating thousands of Gazans. So give us a little background about what Zman Israel was reporting and then tell us what you found out. Sure. So Um, Shalom Yerushalmi,
2: a friend, a colleague, someone I've worked together with often, um, had a scoop last week on January 3rd that Israel is talking with Congo and other countries in Africa, which he later reported as Rwanda and Chad, as possibilities um, of countries that would accept Gazans who want to migrate out of the Gaza Strip. And resettle in Africa. That was the report he cited um, an anonymous uh, senior official in Jerusalem. Um, That obviously made waves around the world, most significantly uh, in America, where there has been a lot of discomfort with statements by some officials, people like Ben Gavir and Smotrich, who are talking about the need to encourage Palestinians to leave the Gaza Strip. Obviously, that sounds uh, uncomfortably close to something like a transfer, which is, of course, uh, illegal under international humanitarian law and has put Netanyahu's government and the war cabinet in an uncomfortable situation. And they have to double down and say there's no such plan and the Gaza Strip will be at some point uh, rehabilitated. Since that came out, since that report came out, um, also last week, I spoke with a senior Israeli official, uh, quite senior, but uh, someone who I cannot name, and he said it's ridiculous. Even if we wanted to do it, which we don't, and even if Smotrich wants to do it, which maybe he does – It's not up to us. We don't control who goes in and out of the Gaza Strip. It could be something between, let's say, the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Gaza, but it's nothing to do with us. We have no ability to influence that. So that's what the the official said on record, uh, but not for attribution. Also yesterday, the DRC itself um, told Turkish media that uh, there have been no such negotiations, discussions, or initiatives between Kinshasa and Israel on this. So there's been a lot of denials. Um, of this report. And um, and uh, like I said, it, it's an issue that will continue to come up as some Israeli uh, officials and ministers will make uh, some, I would say, irresponsible statements. I just want to add that uh, on Thursday and Friday, the International Court of Justice in The Hague is going to hear the first um, part of South Africa's um, suit against Israel for genocide. And one of the main pieces of evidence is are these statements by Israel, uh, by some of the people who are not necessarily making policy, but are in the government in some way, like Ben Gver and Smotrich, that this is evidence that Israel wants to commit genocide and commit uh, crimes of war. So I assume these will continue to come out, but it's certainly incumbent upon Netanyahu to get these kind of type of statements under control because they put Israel in an uncomfortable position and maybe uh, might get in the way of Israel pursuing the war the way it wants to.
0: So U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in the region and one of his first stops with Turkey. Now on Tuesday, Turkey arrested dozens of individuals suspected of spying for Israel with the development coming in the wake of Israeli threats to target Hamas members abroad. Of course, later on Tuesday we saw a Hamas operative, a major major operative deputy head Saleh al-Ruri in an alleged targeted killing which has been attributed to Israel, but Israel has not taken credit for it. Now, do you think that Blinken's stop in Turkey is related to all of this? It's related, I don't think,
2: directly to the al killing or um, to Hamas leaders' presence across the region. Uh, They're mainly in three countries, or openly in three countries, Lebanon, with which Israel, of course, is in a state of war, which is controlled to a large part um, by Hezbollah. Turkey, with which Israel has had a very successful Uh, rehabilitation or detente process, which kind of fell apart, uh, not totally, but has fallen apart uh, to a a large extent since uh, October 7th. And Qatar, with this country with which Israel has had all sorts of limited interactions in the World Cup, um, the the money going to Gaza from Qatar as well. Um, These are places where Hamas leaders openly uh, are present. Uh, Pictures come out of them leading Uh, meeting leaders, and it's something that Israel certainly doesn't like, Um, and Israel has promised that it would go after Hamas leaders wherever they are going after them in Turkey is quite problematic uh, because of Turkey's international clout and the fact that Israel has diplomatic relations. And I don't think the Erdogan government, given its statements, would be very happy um, to see that Israel operating on its soil and taking out Hamas leaders. And also Qatar has a very close relationship with the Biden administration and has proven itself as an effective mediator On the hostage situation for israel and israeli officials have been there and 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 hostage families were just there as well talking to the prime minister so uh uh, lebanon is the most comfortable place for israel to carry out these operations now how does it connect to blinken's visit america has been very clear throughout the war that it one of its main uh, uh priorities is to prevent the war from spreading beyond the gaza strip um the place where there is the that is that is most um, likely that it will spread um, that is most uh, flammable let's say is is Lebanon Uh, we've seen that Hezbollah uh, has taken part in lower level fighting since the beginning of the war it seems not to want a full out war with Israel but it has feels pressure to do something and to do a lot and uh, it's been escalating we saw over the weekend uh, a major attack on an air force base uh, on on Mount Meirun. And Israel has shown itself uh, willing to respond and willing to escalate. Of course, the potential for miscalculation is quite high. And I think there is growing recognition in Israel and growing pressure that at some point, Israel has to undertake a a major operation in Lebanon. And it's better if we choose the timing and we don't let Hezbollah do that. So um, Anthony Blinken is in the region. He was was in Turkey. uh, He was in Greece. uh, he will be in Arab countries, Jordan, UAE, Saudi Arabia. Then he's going to come to Israel, the West Bank, and to Egypt. And his one of his main initiatives is to see how he can promote some sort of diplomatic arrangement that calms down that le- border between Lebanon and Israel. UN Chief Antonio Guterres was also in, in Lebanon trying to do the same thing. Question is if there's some sort of diplomatic arrangement that's even theoretically pro- possible with which Hezbollah withdraws significant way from the border without looking like it was defeated by Israel. I think that's quite a reach, but at the same time, there's a lot of pressure coming uh, from the domestic Lebanese political scene on Hezbollah not to drag them into a war in which uh, the Lebanese people will certainly suffer, and and they have no way of benefiting from this war at all. So Blinken will be here um, on Tuesday, Wednesday, and he will also want to talk about something which is another uh, sticking point between U.S. and Israel, which is what does Gaza look like after? How quickly can Can Israel wind down the fighting, um, calm things down and start thinking about a reconstruction of the Gaza Strip? Uh, Obviously, the U.S. wants it to happen quite soon. Let's not forget there's an election campaign and this is affecting Biden's uh, chances of beating what looks like Donald Trump. Um, but Israel has a lot of work to do. We can see the reports coming out every day that there's plenty of the Gaza Strip that hasn't really been touched by the IDF and even places where Israel has been since the beginning of the ground operation, there's still serious fighting and and Hamas can still punch back at some level. So um, there's a lot of disagreement and um, I think this will come to the to the fore this week as well as it has throughout the war.
0: Lisa, everyone was very concerned immediately following the Alleged targeted killing of Al Aruri. And have you seen much fallout beyond the escalation on the northern border with Hezbollah in terms of diplomatically? No, diplomatically, it hasn't been,
2: uh, I think, terrible for Israel uh, at all. Don't forget the U.S. had a $5 million bounty on his head. Um, I think that the main concern diplomatically is whether it's going to lead to to war in the north that other countries uh, really don't want. But let's uh, not forget, Israel did not take responsibility for it. Uh, plenty of countries in the region want Aruri dead. There's no question about that. Um, so I think Israel has so far uh, gotten, gotten through this, you know, it's gained more than it's lost, um, but it depends what Hezbollah does, that that attack um, of dozens of rockets, um, on the base in on Meiron is, it, they said it's just the start of their response. Now we'll see what else they want to do, but my assessment is still that uh, Hezbollah wants to keep this limited, wants to show that it can strike back, that it's not afraid, but certainly does not want to spark uh, a broader war, which uh, it is not sure that it can win, especially with Israel fully mobilized and kind of itching uh, for a war. I think that's not something that it wants right now.
0: Laser, thank you so much for these updates, and welcome back. So nice having you back on The Daily Briefing.
2: Thank you. Nice to be back.
0: We'll go to a short break.
3: Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast For Heaven's Sake from the Shalom Hartman Institute. These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniel Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniel, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts real privilege to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times.
0: And we're back. As the IDF has continued to operate within the Gaza Strip, there are fewer and fewer rockets landing in the Gaza envelope communities, but there is an assessment that the return there for many of them will take a very long time. So some of these communities are being resettled. Canan give us a bit of an update on which communities are being resettled into longer term housing and what's going on there.
4: So let's go go through the categories of some of these uh, evacuees, and there are about 100,000 of them. Uh, the first is people who just left without being recognized as evacuees, self-evacuated. Uh, they just left border towns that are not in the evacuation plan, and um, they are staying with relatives or at hotels at their own expense and will return independently. Next, we have the people who have been evacuated from the south uh, and people who have evacuated from the north and finally people from the south who have been evacuated but their villages and the kibbutzim are so profoundly destroyed and affected that there's no deadline for their return. So among the people of the south, they're now phasing in the return of their evacuation and that's done in two phases uh two two categories sorry uh one is people who are within four kilometers of the border itself and they're not going back just yet the ones who are going back as of this month are people from communities uh, within a four to seven kilometer distance from the border and the way that the government is bringing them in is kind of um incentivizing them to move back into their towns and villages and Moshevim is by offering an incentive package, a return grant uh, of, it can reach up to um, $5,000 per family. That's the ceiling. Uh, And basically it's done on a calculation, according to a calculation of 200 shekels a day per evacuee for an adult and 100 shekels a day per child. And running up to the end of February. The goal here is to have that category, four to seven kilometers from the border, back by May. Next we have the category of um, villages and Kiputim Moshavimur that are closer to the border, and the deadline for them is September, with the the concept being that their children will be able to begin the school year already where they're living couple of problems to that plan and by the way the other evacuees are currently not being called back so the the close border southern communities are not eligible for that grant I mentioned the northern communities are not eligible for that grant and the ones from a handful of uh, kibbutzim that have been destroyed like Be'ri, Nir Oz uh, and Kfar Aza they're living in uh, medium-term solutions like apartment buildings and uh, and other kibbutzim that are absorbing them. Now, um, the problem for those returning right now is that there are just no schools and no kindergartens. So they can go back, but they have to drive up to 20 kilometers just to drop off the children in schools that the children won't even be attending in the future because in September they'll be asked, required to move the children back to the frameworks that they had originally had.
0: That's very complicated. And you mentioned those uh, communities that are moving to the more medium-term settlement. And one of them is Kibbutz Oz, which suffered just terrible losses. And it's been moved to Kiryat Gat, which is a very different atmosphere for them. You were there. Tell us a little bit about your impressions.
4: First of all, the reception, beginning at the beginning, uh, was um, was something to behold. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of Kiryat Gatniks thronging the streets as the buses from Eilat, uh, Niroz had stayed in, um, the survivors of Niroz had stayed in hotels, in Eilat, one hotel actually, and um, they, they just brought out all the school children of flags and homemade signs, and uh, there was just this uh, real effort, genuine effort, to give them a warm reception, and that has to do with some understanding of the change that these people are facing in their lives. These are kibbutzniks. Nir by the way, is one of the greenest kibbutzim in the Negev, thanks to its botanical garden that has irrigation innovations and other techniques that really made it an oasis uh, that is studied worldwide. So it's it's a, it's a green paradise in the middle of the desert, the, the rolling hills of the Negev all around them, and suddenly they're being put into six apartment buildings in a new neighborhood of Kiryat Gat. Kiryat Gat is one of the poorest cities in Israel, by the way. Some would describe it as drab. Its new uh, neighborhoods are modern, but they're a construction site. They're not even finished. The traffic islands, it's just barren negative soil. So, the the difference couldn't be starker, uh, and the fact that they're scattered in six apartment buildings amidst other apartment buildings also doesn't contribute to uh, the, the initial goal here, which is to keep them as a community, because otherwise, you know, why not give them apartments all over the place? So, no, they want to keep them in one place, and that place, the only place that they found suitable, because this was done on a kibbutz vote, was Kiryat Gat. So taking all that into account, the people of Kiryat Gat really came together to make it as smooth a transition as possible. And I actually ended up visiting Kiryat Gat, those uh, apartment buildings, a day after the reception. I'm, um, I'm recounting what I saw in videos and what people told me. And Something very interesting happened then on the day after the fanfare and the media circus, which is people from Kiryat Gat and even from that neighborhood, Karmé Gat, started trickling into the apartment buildings with offers for acts of goodwill. So one of them was a sing-along um, aficionado who offered his services free of charge, especially for the for the older members. You know the good old. Eretz Israel songs. He wanted to to give them that. Another was a actually a tour guide who wanted figured he could best help them as a handyman. So he put up handwritten notices. Hey, I lived in Kiryat in uh, Nir Oz. I live in Kiryat Gat now. I live used to live there many years ago. Uh, I know you guys, uh, and I want to help. Uh, when I called him up, he was really excited because he thought, Hey, finally someone's calling. And they, oh, it's just a journalist. So there was this, there's this sense of solidarity, sense, sense of charity. Of course, this is a highly traumatized community. Jonathan Dekelchen, one of the most prominent residents, says regularly, Niroz is no more. And it, the damage is so extensive to uh, the death rate is so extensive. One in four people was either murdered or abducted in uh, Niroz. Um, so it's a, it's a drop in the bucket uh, for them. I mean, it's, it's nice and all. Jonathan told me, but um, this is not what they chose. No one's jumping up and down, um, and, and they—they just—they don't even. Not all of them want to go back. The future is being debated right now. Uh, some people in Oz feel that the abandonment was so profound that they can never feel really safe enough to live there as long as the circumstances uh, remain the same. Uh, I ended my visit with um, a talk with uh, Ran Pauker, the 86-year-old founder of the botanical garden, and I asked him, "Hey, you know, um, how's it? How's this move feel uh, to be moving into an apartment building?" He said he, he totally avoided the question, sidestepped the question, and tell you, "I'll tell you how I feel. I feel immense gratitude for these people." that have just welcomed us into their community he was shaking the hands of the sing-along uh, Mordi Israel, who who told who told them and me you know you've come to a warm loving home you just don't know it yet
0: Kanan, yesterday the first nature party or rave took place again since the october 7th massacre you were able to attend a little bit of it tell us what was going on there
4: well, I thought it was the first, but apparently it wasn't. They were up and running like two weeks after the massacre itself, but they termed it as a, a therapeutic therapeutic sessions, which I guess it is to them. Uh, anyway, this was the first major one. Uh, it's, it was timed uh, three months exactly after the sixth of October. Nova Festival. There was ambivalence among the people who came there. Some were debating whether it's it's appropriate at all. Uh, in the end, the sentiment that triumphed uh, over the fears, by the way, was planned to take place in the Sharon region, but that's too near, That, that some felt that it was too near the West Bank with talks of tunnels being dug from Bat Hefer um, under the separation fence. So they moved it further south. Anyway, the sentiment was, um, look, we're not going to take your narrative of what's appropriate or not because one in four victims of this terrorist attack was a rave, was a rave fanatic at the Nova Festival, and so we're dancing for them. And by the way, one of the one of the most moving numbers that were played during yesterday's rave party was "We Can Dance Again" by a DJ who, when he first performed it, it, it brought him to tears. So there was this. Sure, they danced and probably popped some acid here and there, but the, but there was a feeling of paying homage to their slain counterparts.
0: Very moving. Kanan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have questions about this or any other episode, please drop us an email at podcast at com. Until tomorrow, shalom.